Hi everybody, it's Michael. I'm delighted to say that Annie and Jenny from Stories of Scotland are our final entry into the Scotland Halloween collection for this year. They've taken their inimitable style and applied it to The Grey Wolf by George MacDonald. Hello, I'm Jenny, your cave-dwelling storyteller for today. And I'm Annie, your moon-howling archivist. We're from Stories of Scotland podcast, but we're really delighted to be telling you this story today for Scotland podcast. It's a fantastic fairy tale by George MacDonald. George MacDonald is a brilliant Victorian author and minister. His fairy tales inspired Tolkien and the Manny who wrote Narnia. He's a real... Is that because you can't remember who wrote Narnia? It was not C.S. Lewis. Aye, it was C.S. Lewis. Uh, Manny Lewis. I loved The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe Manny when I was younger. Me too. (laughs) (laughs) George MacDonald draws from a rich seam of Scottish folklore as well as Norse mythology. His writing brings to life some very creative concepts. One of my favourite stories of his is at the back of the North Wind, where the North Wind is this beautiful woman who sweeps in and takes a small child on an adventure where we learn about the darkness and light of nature. It's truly stunning. But the story we're telling you today is a particularly spooky one for this Halloween season. It is The Grey Wolf, And it breaks all your expectations of a Victorian werewolf story. There's sci-fi in it. They've got laser guns. (laughs) (laughs) So there's not any laser guns, but there's a brilliant sense of tension. Mm. The werewolf itself is a character of dualities Mm -hmm. because we've we've got... lasers and beams. (laughs) instead of lasers and beams we've got different layers of meaning it's Mm. a really beautiful story jenny do you want to hit it yes the gray wolf by george Macdonald. one evening twilight in spring a young english student who had wandered northwards as far as the outlying fragments of scotland called the orkney and shetland islands found himself on a small island of the latter group caught in a storm of wind and hail which had come on suddenly. It was in vain to look out for any shelter, for not only did the storm entirely obscure the landscape, but there was nothing around him save a desert moss. At length, however, as he walked on for mere walking's sake, he found himself on the verge of a cliff, and saw, over the brow of it, a few feet below him, a ledge of rock, where he might find some shelter from the blast which blew from behind. Letting himself down by his hands, he alighted upon something that crunched beneath his tread, and found the bones of many small animals scattered around in front of the cave and the rock, offering the refuge he sought. He went in, and sat upon a stone. The storm increased in its violence, and as the darkness grew, he became uneasy for he did not relish the thought of spending the night in the cave. He had parted from his companions on the opposite side of the island, and it added to his uneasiness that they must be full of apprehension about him. At last there came a lull in the storm, and the same instant he heard a footfall, 
stealthy and light as that of a wild beast upon the bones at the mouth of the cave. He started up in some fear, though the least thought that might have satisfied him that there could be no very dangerous animals upon this island. Before he had time to think, however, the face of a woman appeared in the opening. Eagerly, the wanderer spoke. She started at the sound of his voice. He could not see her well, because she was turned towards the darkness of the cave. Will you tell me how to find my way across the moor to the Shilness? he asked. You cannot find it tonight, she answered in a sweetish tone, and with a smile that bewitched him, revealing the whitest of teeth. What am I to do then? he asked. My mother will give you shelter, but that is all she has to offer. And that is far more than I expected a minute ago, <laughs> he replied. I shall be most grateful. She turned in silence and left the cave. The youth followed. She was barefooted, and her pretty brown feet went cat-like over the sharp stones as she led the way down a rocky path to the shore. Her garments were scanty and torn, and her hair blew tangled in the wind. She seemed about five and twenty, lithe and small. Her long fingers kept clutching and pulling nervously at her skirts as she went. Her face was very grey in complexion and very worn, but delicately formed and smooth-skinned. Her thin nostrils were tremulous as eyelids, and her lips, whose curves were faultless, had no colour to give sign of indwelling blood. What her eyes were like he could not see, for she never lifted the delicate films of her eyelids. At the foot of the cliff they came upon a little hut leaning against it, and having for its inner apartment a natural hollow within it. Smoke was spreading over the face of the rock, and the grateful odour of food gave hope to the hungry student. His guide opened the door of the cottage. He followed her in, and saw a woman bending over a fire in the middle of the floor. On the fire lay a large fish broiling. The daughter spoke a few words, and the mother turned and welcomed the stranger. She had an old and very wrinkled, but honest face, and she looked troubled. She dusted the only chair in the cottage and placed it for him by the side of the fire, opposite the one window, when she saw a little patch of yellow sand over which the spent waves spread themselves out listlessly. Under this window there was a bench, upon which the daughter threw herself in an unusual posture, resting her chin upon her hand. A moment after, the youth caught the first glimpse of her blue eyes. They were fixed upon him with a strange look of greed, amounting to craving, but as if aware that they believed or betrayed her, she dropped them instantly. The moment she veiled them, her face, notwithstanding its colourless complexion, was almost beautiful. When the fish was ready, the old woman wiped the deal table, steadied it upon the uneven floor, and covered it with a piece of fine table linen. She then laid the fish out on a wooden platter and invited the guest to help himself. Seeking no further provision, he pulled from his pocket a hunting knife and divided a portion from the fish, offering it to the mother first. What a gentleman. <laughs> um, my lamb, said the old woman and the daughter approached the table, but her nostrils and mouth quivered with disgust. The next moment she turned and hurried from the hut. She's not a big fan of fish, said the old woman, 
and I haven't anything else to give her. That seems unfortunate. <laughs> that is unfortunate. <laughs> the accent or the lack of fish? <laughs> Both. She does not seem in good health, he rejoined. The woman answered only with a sigh. <sighs> and they ate their fish with the help of a little rye bread. As they finished their supper, the youth heard a sound like the pattering of a dog's feet upon the sand close to the door. But ere he had time to look out over the window, the door opened and the young woman entered. She looked better, perhaps from having just washed her face. She drew a stool to the corner of the fire opposite him, but as she sat down, to his bewilderment and even horror, the student spied a single drop of blood on her white skin within her torn dress. The woman brought out a jar of whisky, put a rusty old kettle on the fire and took her place in front of it. As soon as the water boiled, she proceeded to make some toddy in a wooden bowl. Meantime, the youth could not take his eyes off the young woman, so that at length he found himself fascinated, or rather, bewitched. She kept her eyes for the most part veiled, with the loveliest eyelids fringed with darkest lashes, and he gazed entranced, for the red glow of the little oil lamp covered all the strangeness of her complexion. But as soon as he met a stolen glance out of those eyes unveiled, his soul shuddered within him. Lovely face and craving eyes alternated fascination and repulsion. The mother placed a bowl in his hands. He drank sparingly and passed it to the girl. She lifted it to her lips, and as she tasted, only tasted it, looked at him. Just a gentle little sip. A tipple. But I think he was probably not looking at her mouth because he was so entranced mm. by her eyelids. Mm-hmm. Those eyelids. Oof. <laughs> see, when I see a good pair of eyelids, let me tell you, I'll follow that person for miles. <laughs> <laughs> he thought the drink must have been drugged and had affected his brain. Her hair smoothed itself back and drew her forehead backwards with it, while the lower part of her face projected towards the bowl, revealing, ere she slipped, her dazzling teeth in strange prominence. But the same moment, the vision vanished. She returned the vessel to her mother, rising and hurrying out of the cottage. Then, the old woman pointed to a bed of heather in one corner with a murmured apology, and the student, wearied both with the fatigues of the day and the strangeness of the night, threw himself upon it, wrapped in his cloak. The moment he lay down, the storm began afresh, and the wind blew so keenly through the crannies of the hut that it was only by drawing his cloak over his head that he could protect himself from its currents. Unable to sleep, he lay listening to the uproar which grew in violence till the spray was dashing against the window. At length, the door opened, and the young woman came in, made up the fire, drew the bench before it and lay down in the same strange posture with her chin propped on her hand and elbow and her face turned towards the youth. He moved a little. She dropped her head and lay on her face with her arms crossed beneath her forehead. The mother had disappeared. Drowsiness crept over him. A movement on the bench roused him and he fancied he saw some four-footed creature as tall as a large dog trot quietly out the door. He was sure he felt a rush of cold wind. Gazing fixedly through the darkness, he thought he saw the eyes of the damsel encountering his, but a glow from the falling together of the remains of the fire revealed clearly enough that the bench was vacant. 
wondering what could have made her go out in such a storm. He fell fast asleep. Wow, you think you go out after her, <laughs> not just sleep? <laughs> oh, I'm so worried I could sleep about it. <laughs> in the middle of the night, he felt a sharp pain in his shoulder. He came broad awake and saw the gleaming eyes and grinning teeth of some animal close to his face. Its claws were in his shoulder and its mouth in the act of seeking his throat. Before it had fixed its fangs, however, he had its throat in one hand and sought his knife with the other. A terrible struggle followed, but regardless of the tearing claws, he found and opened his knife. He had made one futile stab and was drawing it for a surer one when with a spring of the whole body and one wildly contorted effort, the creature twisted its neck from his hold and with something betwixt a scream and a howl darted from him. Again he heard the door open, again the wind blew in upon him and it continued blowing. A sheet of spray dashed across the floor and over his face. He sprung from his couch and bounded to the door. It was a wild night, dark, but for the flash of whiteness from the waves as they broke within a few yards of the cottage. The wind was raving and the rain pouring down the air. A gruesome sound as if mingled weeping and howling came from somewhere in the dark. He turned again into the hut and closed the door, but he could find no way of securing it. So he just went to sleep again. (laughs) (laughs) He didn't. No, he didn't. (laughs) (laughs) The lamp was nearly out and he could not be certain whether the form of the young woman was upon the bench or not. Overcoming a strong repugnance, he approached it and put out his hands. There was nothing there. He sat down and waited for the daylight. He dared not sleep any more. He got the message then. When the day dawned at length, he went out yet again and looked around. The morning was dim and gusty and grey. The wind had fallen, but the waves were still tossing wildly. He wandered up and down the little strand, longing for more light. At length he heard a movement in the cottage. By and by, the voice of the old woman called to him from the door. You're up early, sir. I suppose you didn't sleep very well. No, not very well at all, he answered. But where is your daughter? Oh, she's not awake yet, said the mother. I'm afraid I have but a poor breakfast for you. But you'll take a dram and a bit of fish. It's all I've got. Unwilling to hurt her, though hardly in good appetite, he sat down at the table. While they were eating, the daughter came in, but turned her face away and went to the further end of the hut. When she came forward, after a minute or two, the youth saw that her hair was drenched and her face whiter than before. She looked ill and faint, and when she raised her eyes, all their fierceness had vanished and sadness had taken its place. Her neck was now covered with a cotton handkerchief. She was modestly attentive to him and no longer shunned his gaze. He was gradually yielding to the temptation of braving another night in the hut and seeing what would follow when the old woman spoke. "'The weather will be broken all day, sir,' she said. "'You had better be going, or your friends will leave without you.' Here he could not answer. He saw such a beseeching glance on the face of the girl that he hesitated, confused. Glancing at the mother, he saw the flash of wrath in her face. 
She rose and approached her daughter, with her hand lifted to strike her. The young woman stooped her head with a cry. He darted around the table to interpose between them, but the mother had caught hold of her. The handkerchief had fallen from her neck, and the youth saw five blue bruises on her lovely throat, the marks of the four fingers and the thumb of the left hand. With a cry of horror, he darted from the house. But as he reached the door, he turned. His hostess was lying motionless on the floor, and a huge grey wolf came bounding after him. There was no weapon at hand, and if there had been, his inborn chivalry would never have allowed him to harm a woman, even under the guise of a wolf. Instinctively, he set himself firm, leaning a little forward, with half-outstretched arms and hands curved, ready to clutch again at the throat upon which he had left those pitiful marks. But the creature, as she sprung, eluded his grasp, and just as he expected to feel her fangs, he found a woman weeping on his bosom, with her arms around his neck. The next instant, the grey wolf broke from him and bounded, howling up the cliff. Recovering himself as best he might, the youth followed, for it was the only way to the moor above, across which he must now make his way to find his companions. All at once he heard the sound of crunching bones, not as if a creature was eating them, but as if they were ground by the teeth of rage and disappointment. Looking up, he saw close above him the mouth of the little cavern in which he had taken refuge the day before. Summoning all his resolution, he passed it slowly and softly. From within came the sounds of a mingled moaning and growling. <laughs> Having reached the top, he ran at full speed for some distance across the moor before venturing to look behind him. When at length he did so, he saw, against the sky, the girl standing on the edge of the cliff, wringing her hands. One solitary wail crossed the space between them. Oh! She made no attempt to follow him, and he reached the opposite shore in safety. Wow, Annie, quite the tale. So he evaded the fangs of this werewolf woman. I think she let him go. I don't think she ever wanted to eat him, really. I think she just didn't know how to... Control those instincts of hers. Yes. Or those eyelids. <laughs> fluttering in the wind. Oh. But what I like about this story is that the werewolf woman is kind of the most powerful character in, mm. in the story. She's the one that's causing the the terror and the fear. But then she's also this kind of vulnerable, almost damsel in distress because she is under the burden of some kind of curse mm -hmm. that is turning her into a wolf. What I want to know is where the old lady went overnight. I did get the impression that the mother of the werewolf mm -hmm hadn't been treating her right no, and also wasn't a werewolf herself because yeah. she was eating fish quite mm -hmm. happily. How do you think this compares to werewolf stories that you know? It's much more subtle. Much more subtle than the modern day sort of Hollywood big werewolf packs all ripping their shirts off and being all sweaty and eight-packy in the sun and all gleaming and sexy. You know, this is not that sexy. Although those eyelids. Those eyelids. <laughs> I think it's it's a fascinating tale. It's kind of a subdued werewolf mm -hmm. and it's showing the 
inner turmoil of this woman over one night mm-hmm. in that she's going in between this woman and wolf and indoors form. and outdoors yeah very much crossing the space from the storm to the calm and back again i mean we see this in a lot of scottish mythology caves as liminal spaces mm-hmm. between life and death this world and the other Yes, this world and then the supernatural. And I think that's what we've really got happening in this cave. There's some really cool caves up in the northwest coast called the Bone Caves, which I feel would be a wonderful setting for this. They find a lot of bones in there. You've been listening to the Scotland Halloween Collection. This episode was a special version of Stories of Scotland with The Grey Wolf by George MacDonald. It was read by Annie Gofillan and Jenny Johnston. The music for this episode, and every episode of Scotland, was by the human wolf, which is not a thing, Mitch Bain. If you enjoyed this episode, you can check out Stories of Scotland, which is a fantastic podcast where Annie and Jenny take elements of Scottish history, folklore, tales of the unexpected, everything, and it's awesome. It's a great show. You can check them out at storiesofscotland.com If you want to find out more about the show, you can visit our brand new-ish website. It's scotlandpodcast.net You can find loads of old episodes on there and also links to our Patreon, our YouTube and we'll be adding transcripts very soon as well once I stop being a lazy person. We'll be back next month with more from Scotland. Until then, look after one another, wear a mask, don't have nightmares.